So I want to start off by um, telling a funny story. So I was talking to a friend of mine, and he, he told me this story about his dad. And I thought to myself, first of all, that is a hilarious story. Secondly, that works so well and ties right in to the topic this morning. So my friend's dad was out shopping at Target one day. Target fans out there? Yeah? My wife loves Target. So Target, he was out shopping at Target. And he, this guy, he's not a shopper. Right? I'm sure a lot of guys, dudes out there, dads, you probably, you're just not a shopper. You don't enjoy going. It's just there's all this protocol and, you know, things that you just got to know to go shopping. Well, for some reason, he had to go shopping. He went to Target. He gets all his things. He gets up to the cash register, and the lady's checking out all his items. Beep, beep. She gets to the last item, scans it. She looks at him, and she says, do you cartwheel? Now, how many of you Target fans out there yell it out? What is Cartwheel? Cartwheel is an app that you get discounts on at Target. So this lady says to this guy who does not shop at Target, do you Cartwheel? He goes, I I guess. (laughs) She says, well, if you Cartwheel this week, we're giving 20% off your total purchase. So you just seal the wheels turning in his brain thinking, what did I sign up for? I'm never doing this again. But sure enough, he starts taking his wallet and his keys out and realizing what, she, what he's about to do. She goes, no, 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 sir. You don't have to cartwheel. Cartwheel is an app that you get discounts. And I'm hearing my friend tell this story and I'm thinking what I would give to have been the person in line behind him watching this unfold. And I probably would have been upset because she stopped him. Because you know if I was at Walmart, she would have let him do a cartwheel. So why do I tell that story? Well, one, that is hilarious. Father of my friend, if you're watching this, he gave me permission. I apologize. But here's the other reason why I tell this. This guy did not know about the cartwheel app. He did not realize what he could apply. Say apply. He did not realize what he could apply to his purchase to get the best out of what Target had to offer. Listen, I think many of us who who call ourselves followers of Jesus, we walk through life not applying all that we have available to us. And so we end up missing out on the fullness of what Christ has for us. And so what I want to talk about this morning is one of those things that I believe many Christians do not live with and apply to their life. In the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 36, uh, Jesus has already lived his life. He's already been crucified, resurrected. He's already ascended back into heaven and the Holy Spirit has just come down on God's people. And Peter is in the middle, or he's actually on the tail end of this sermon to a large group of people when he says this to them. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, the dude whom you crucified, to be both, say both, to be both Lord and Savior. So what I wanna do, I'm a youth pastor, I like audience engagement. When I point to you, I need you to yell, shout the word and as loudly as you can, cool? So I'm gonna read this again. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Savior. 
To be both Lord and Savior. To be both Lord and Savior. Look, a Savior is someone who has saved you from danger. A Lord is someone who you have given permission to have complete control and authority over your life. You see, I think many of us, us Christians, have no problem recognizing and living as if Jesus is our Savior. But few of us are also willing to give him complete control of our lives as our Lord. Because, right, if he's not Lord of all, he ain't Lord at all. And scripture is super clear. It's very clear that he should be both to us. And like that cartwheel app that gives you discounts, unless we are applying all that we have available to us, we're missing out. And so here's the thing. I I believe that there's a reason, right? I believe there's a reason most Christians live their lives just short at living with him as their savior, but not diving all in with him as their Lord. And I believe it's because of the cost. I believe it's because of the cost. What it costs someone to let Jesus be their Lord. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I want to show you why we need to make sure that we have not just stopped short of the fullness in Christ and then prepare us for what it's going to cost to truly make him Lord. Because he's not just our Savior. He's our Lord and Savior. Cool. So here's the thing. Um, it's, yeah, there we go. So uh, what we got to do is we got to look at the cost. But if we're going to understand the cost of the Lord, we got to first start with and look at what it costs to have a Savior. We've got to look at the cost first of a Savior. And now this is, this is so simple because we talk about this almost every Sunday, right? The cost of a savior to you and I is putting your faith in his grace. Right? We talk about this almost every single Sunday. It's putting your faith in his grace. That, that's what it takes. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this right here is my favorite part. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. Grace is God doing for us what we could never ever do on our own. Thousands of years recorded in the Old Testament are proof that we cannot do enough things to earn our way into heaven or earn our way into right standing with God. And so God realizes this and he sends Jesus to be our savior doing for us what we could never be able to do on our own. And by sacrificing his life, Jesus has given us this free gift. Say free. Free. This free gift of salvation. Look, we just had Christmas. You were probably giving gifts and getting gifts. When you gave a gift to your child, did you hand them a receipt and say, now you owe me (laughs) $27.99? No, you gave that gift freely, and that's what this is. I think about it like this door. Do you guys notice there was a door up here? It's not the door to Narnia. So it's like this door. And on the other side is someone waiting so fervently for you to knock. And all you got to do is knock and the door will be freely open to you. Right? Matthew chapter 7 says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock. And the door is going to be opened. 
But here's the thing. We don't have to do a certain amount of things for a certain amount of time. We don't got to look a certain way first. We don't have to get our life in order first. As long as we are putting our faith in what God has done for us, it will be given as a free gift. And then all we got to do then, once this free gift has been offered to us, is just step into that relationship with Jesus and step into salvation with him. The problem is, many of us step into this and then we stop here. We stop at the threshold. And so if the cost of a savior is this free gift that I just explained, the next thing we got to understand is the cost of the Lord. Because this is where it gets far more difficult. This is where so many of us fall short and the reason it's so difficult is because if putting your faith in God's grace allows you to have the free gift of salvation, here's what it costs to have a Lord. It costs surrendering your life. It costs surrendering your life, which is so easy to talk about, especially when you're amongst a lot of other Christians, a lot of other people who are showing up to church to hear about this. It's so much easier to say, but so much more difficult to do. Because we're, we're, we live in a culture that needs to have control of what's happening in our lives. And if we don't, we become anxious and stressed out. But if you want Jesus to be your Lord, you've got to surrender your life. You've got to both surrender your inner life and your outer life. You see, both your inner life and your outer life um, and in inner life your, is your private, the unseen to the natural eye aspect of your life. And the outer is the, the outer, the visible, the public that most people around you will see about you. Your inner life is what you're thinking, it's what you feel, what you're choosing, the decisions you're making, the internal dreams and plans that you have for your life. And so if you want to truly follow Jesus... We've got to allow him to be Lord over those things. We've got to give him complete control and authority over them. Yeah, it's way out of our comfort zone, right? It's, it's very unnatural for us, but we've got to work at making sure that it's true in our lives. Someone once said, battles are fought. They are won or lost on the battleground of our private life. I think that's why Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 is so good because it says, guard your heart above all else for that's what determines the course of your life. So guard your inner life from the distractions and the temptations of the world. But then Proverbs sixteen nine also says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. He's saying, look, you may have plans for your life. How's that working out for you? Why don't you trust me with what your future holds? And so we've got to surrender that inner life. Now your outer life or your public life is expressed, it's explained in like what you see, uh, what we're saying, what we hear, where we are going, what we are doing. Think about it as, think about your public life as how you act in your home, at your work, in the classroom, amongst your friends in the neighborhood. 
Look at it as in the relationship you have with certain friends and how you treat your family or your coworkers or your neighbors. Your outer life is, it, it's, it's also kind of expressed as your attitude towards your possessions, towards your obligations, towards your responsibilities. And so ask yourself, is Jesus in control of these things? Have I given him permission to have authority? And is he recognizable in how I approach all these things? Think about that when it comes to your outer life. And so if, you've got to, if, if you want to have complete fullness in Christ and all that he has to offer you, the cost to make him Lord is surrendering your life. Everything that happens internally and publicly. But the other cost of having a Lord is trusting him in the unknown. It's trusting him in the unknown. And I think this is probably the scary part for us when it comes to making him Lord. Because we don't know what's going to happen. Right? We want to know what is going to happen. We want to have our hands on the wheel, knuckles gripped tight, GPS by our side, Siri telling us which way to go and when to make a U-turn. That's just the kind of life we live. We want to have that control. But when we make him Lord, we need to trust him in the unknown. Let's go back to that, that, this door. So remember, many people make him their savior, but they stop here. And, and I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's because they don't know what the unknown holds. They don't know what's going to happen in this new life. But can I tell you, by making him Lord, we need to venture into the unknown. We've got to trust him uh, with this new life in Christ. And trust him with every aspect of our life that we cannot control. When we make him Lord of our lives, not only is the door just freely opened, but we are walking into this trusting relationship with him. As John 15 says, we are abiding in him. I've got a, a good friend of mine, Jordan Abina, wrote a book called Thoughts of a Dying Worship Leader, available on Amazon. And in this book, he says, there's a difference between arriving at Christ and abiding in him, trusting him in the unknown, walking into this new life with him. So many Christians, we arrive at Christ and we make him our savior. Praise God, best decision you'll ever make. It's incredible. But they don't step into the fullness of what they could have. Trusting him in the unknown, giving him complete control and trust as Lord. I don't know, maybe that's why so many people walk away from the Lord so easily. I, was ta- I mentioned my, my in-laws are in town. My father-in-law is a pastor, and we were chatting a few days ago about what I'm going to be talking about today. And he said, he said this, he goes, you know, the problem with modern Christianity is we've taken the cost out of following Jesus. We've taken the cost out of following Jesus. Because when something costs you, you take it more seriously. You take better care of it. It's worth more to you. And I think because so many Western cultured Christians have taken the cost out of following Jesus, we don't hold on to it too tightly. 
Oh, but Chris, I mean, it, it costs me a lot to be a Christian in, in this day and age in America. Government's taken away all my privileges as a Christian. Look, I want all these. I want more prayer in school. I want all these things that a Christian could have in this uh, United States of America. But you want to know what it takes to, what it really costs you to follow Jesus in other countries? When I was in college, I spent six weeks in the country of Turkey on a missions trip. Six weeks there. Now, when I was there, I don't know what it's like now, but when I was there, we were told that it was illegal to walk up to someone and say, do you know Jesus? Would you like to? And so we had to be pretty incognito. It wasn't like super dangerous, but we, would, we had to be pretty incognito and low-key, and we, we did a lot of prayer and relationship buildings, but there was just something missing. It felt like, to me as an American, something was missing. When I got back to the States for a month solid, a month solid, any time I was in worship, I just weeped. And I'm not a crier. That's my wife. She hates it. I just weeped. And, and I don't know, maybe it was just because I got back and, and my body, his soul had just craved and I just was in such awe of the freedom that I had that I was able to worship my king and that my body and spirit just could not contain itself. You want to talk about what it takes, what it costs to be a Christian in China or countries like it? You want to follow Jesus, you got to do so hidden in a basement or you're going to end up in jail. If you, have, if you want access to a Bible, oftentimes it's scribbled on a piece of parchment paper. Look, that right there is surrendering your life. That's trusting God in the unknown. That's living if, as if Jesus is your Lord. I'm, I'm not a betting man. Unless it's like candy bars or who's going to do dishes. <laughs> but I think it's safe to say, I think it's safe to say 25% of American Christians probably wouldn't follow Jesus is in place like I just described. Why? Because it costs more than we are willing to pay. Look, following Jesus has a cost. And if you're not willing to pay it, what do you have? So I want to end with this story of a guy nicknamed the Great Blondin. Uh, the Great Blondin was, I think, in like the eight, he, he lived in like the 1800s, and he was famous for his acrobatic tightrope walking. Right? This dude was incredible. Um, I mean, anyone that tightrope walk is pretty incredible to me, but this guy was like the dude. When it came to tightrope walking, this was him. He was famous for all these incredible acrobatic tightrope walking feats. But he says, you know what? I'm going to test my limits. I'm going to do something that's never been done before, and I'm going to tightrope walk across Niagara Falls. And so it goes out in the media, newspapers, and, and people are making Facebook events for it. And so they know when it is. And so all these people show up on this day that he is going to do this incredible thing. And so he grabs his pole and he starts walking slowly. Now, if any of you have ever been to Niagara Falls or you've just seen National Geographic videos of it, it's like rushing water, mist, wind gushing. And so he is going and a 75 mile an hour wind pushes him and, and he slips one foot. He catches it and he just keeps moving along. Slowly, the crowd behind him is silent as he's going. And sure enough, he puts his foot on the ground, on dry ground, and the crowd goes nuts. He looks at them, he says, do you believe I am the greatest? They say, we believe, 
we believe. He says, okay, then I'm going to go back across, this time blindfolded. You hear gasps in the crowd and whispering, oh my gosh, he barely made it across. What's going to happen? They're silent as he puts on his blindfold and makes his way back across, this time almost as if he had done it a thousand times before. He puts his foot on dry ground. The crowd goes ballistic. He looks at them, he says, do you believe I am the greatest? They say, we believe, we believe. He says, okay, this time, I'm gonna go back once more, but with a wheelbarrow, and in that wheelbarrow will be a person. Do you believe I can do it? They say, we believe, we believe, we believe. He says, okay, which one of you will get in my wheelbarrow? The crowd falls silent. Look, they were more than capable of cheering him on and putting their belief in him when it didn't cost him anything. But in the moment they were asked to trust him with their life, the cost was greater and they weren't willing to do it. I wonder how many of us Christians who show up on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights before COVID, online sitting in our living room. And Jesus is saying to us, do you believe I am your savior? And we say without a shadow of a doubt, we believe, we believe, we believe. He says, okay. Then when you walk out that door, will you give me control of your life? Trust me with what's happening and let me be your Lord. We fall silent. We walk out those doors, tunnel vision, with our hands gripped on our steering wheel of our lives, unwilling to give up control, unwilling to trust him with our career, unwilling to trust him with our kids, unwilling to surrender the words that we speak, unwilling to surrender the places we go and the dreams and plans we have for our life, unwilling to bear the cost of Jesus being our Lord. If there's one thing that you walk out of here remembering or knowing, it's this. In regards to our relationship with Jesus and living with a fullness in Christ, the cost for it is free. To live it will cost us everything. The cost for it, free. We knocked, doors open but we want to walk out those doors and live it, it's going to cost us everything. Are we willing to buy into that cost? 2021 is about to start. New year, new you. Jesus as our Lord, not just our Savior. I want to ask everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. My main focus was the cost of Jesus being our Lord, but he can't be Lord without you first knocking on that door and receiving his free gift of salvation. Now, remember what I said earlier, for the door to be opened for you to walk in relationship with him, it takes putting your faith 
in his grace. Recognizing and understanding that your sins and disobedience to the way that he desires us to live, it comes at a high price, but he paid it for us. So if that's you in here, then in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to slip up your hand. No one's looking around. But if that's you and you wanna ask Jesus into your life, have a relationship with him and begin this new life, trusting him to walk with you in the chaos, then on a count of three, just slip up your hand. One, two, three. Anyone. All right. Go ahead and keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Now, I want to pray for the rest of us. I want to pray that we would have a boldness and courage to put every aspect of our life in his hands when we walk out those doors. I'm going to pray that we trust him as our Lord. God, I want to pray for every single person in this room and watching online. God, we are first so grateful that you came and saved us. Oh my goodness, Lord. We could not have done this on our own. Many of us tried and tried and failed, but you came and paid the price for us. And we're grateful for that. But God, I ask that every single person in here and watching online, would we realize, recognize, and live out the idea that you aren't just our savior, but you're our Lord. Having authority over our life, we surrender our lives to you, no longer gripping the steering wheel of our lives, but God, we trust you with the unknown. And God, I don't wanna stand up here as a hypocrite. Lord, I, I ask that, that I would continue and I would strive for more lordship in my own life as well. God, we want to have a boldness to live for you when it counts. And God, when it comes to the cost of following you, that we wouldn't stop halfway, but God, we would put our full trust and life in your hands. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said.